So season two of the Forest of Thought podcast has kicked off, and each episode will be an exploration into our ecology of ideas, trying to re-examine the familiar and catch glimpses of the new. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can become a Patreon community member and pledge to give a donation every time we release an episode, which is usually once every three to four weeks. Any donation, big or small, is much appreciated. Please visit patreon.com slash forestofthought for more information. And beyond that, just sharing the podcast with your friends or giving it a good review in your podcast app really helps us to spread the word. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Forest of Thought, with me, Ingrid Reeser. What is the true task of an architect? We usually think of architecture as an exclusively human affair. Could we instead learn to create spaces that are more hospitable to both humans and other living beings? It would probably require us to get to know our landscapes and our cityscapes much more intimately. But how do we do that? And what are the hidden teachings in architecture that just can't be talked about? Our guide for this episode is architect Peter Lynch. The premise of architecture is that underneath every place, and actually every human being, there is something completely mysterious. <laughs> and that to do justice to occupying the earth and living on earth, you'd have to recognize that, do justice to it. Peter Lynch is an architect and recently a guest professor at the KTH School of Architecture in Stockholm. He has founded and directed architecture offices in New York, Detroit, Shenzhen, and Beijing, and has decades of experience of teaching architecture students in the United States and in Sweden. We met on a sunny day in May at Peter's summer house in Sundland, which is a couple hours drive southwest of Stockholm, Sweden. The old traditional Swedish timbered houses were nestled on a south-facing slope with a vegetable garden at one end and an artist's studio belonging to Peter's wife Madeleine Hatz at the other. We sat in the protective shade of a young oak with a view of the lake just visible between the trees. As we began talking, Peter told me about the inspiration he's taken from contemporary Italian philosopher Giorgio Agamben, who writes about what it means for something or someone to be singular, to be a singularity. And this has become an important part of Peter's understanding of what architecture's role is. So a singularity could be described as anyone or anything that's distinguished, not for the properties it has or for the categories it belongs to, but for being such as it is in itself. And according to Peter, the best example of a singularity is anyone or any place that you love. I was wondering if you, if you always knew that you wanted to be an architect. No. Actually, as a kid, <laughs> I wouldn't tell anybody this, but what I liked doing was 
taking like bottle caps and leftover bits of this or that and putting them together or taking things that were made and taking them apart, mm -hmm. making diagrams. I thought of myself secretly as an inventor. Okay. And what I loved more than anything was untying knots. You know, like when things got really entangled, like your shoelace got super entangled. That To me, it was super, super, what do you call it, fulfilling mm. to untangle the knot. That's so interesting. And so, or word puzzles, figuring out little slips of paper with letters on them, you know, mm. slipping it around, doing things. So there was this unacknowledged thing that this mind figures things out that repairs things mm. was something I enjoyed. But mm. I didn't make the connection that that's what architects are. Mm. So it was only after that I realized, oh, you know, I'm doing, I'm using the same mind that was like moving those little scraps of paper around. <laughs> I think that there's an idea about what, uh, uh, what architects do, which is these sort of uh, masterminds who plan every, plan everything out in a way from from this drawing board and I, as I pictured it, but I kind of wanted to talk to you about, you know, uh, what is what is architecture actually? Or if that's, if it's not useful to look for definitions, then mm. what is it that we do when we do mm -hmm. architecture? But that's a good, I think it's a very good way to put it. Yeah. Because architecture, you talk about it as architecture, that means the whole set of everything that's ever been built that's <laughs> in that category. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which it doesn't make sense to generalize, you know. Yeah. But to say what is it that one does when one does architecture, that's... Mm. I, th I think that one makes... Oh, God. I think you make the fulfillment of the singularity of a place, of a handful of people or family or community or society and uh, of the materials at hand that they are all if you didn't have architecture then everything would be a problem that could be solved and it would be by default uh, perhaps a general general attitude but the premise of architecture is that underneath every place and actually every human being, there is something completely mysterious. <laughs> and that to do justice to occupying a, the earth and living on earth, you'd have to recognize that, do justice to it. Could you say something about um, working with this question of how we both rehabilitate or not rehabilitate what would be your word for it maybe I don't know what you're going to say <laughs> well I know that you you've talked about how we have um, how we have sort of wrought destruction on a lot of places as as a as a species and not that's not the whole story because, like you also point out, uh, humans have also created some of the spaces, some of the spaces that have the most biodiversity, for example, at the moment are these, uh, are these pastures uh, or old, well, old pastures in Sweden, for example. 
and uh, the, the the spaces in between the ecotones, the spaces in between spaces. So I don't want to uh, to to forget that either. But still, there are a lot of of places and spaces and landscapes that have mm. suffered <laughs> at the uh, because of mm-hmm. some not very good ideas, also mm-hmm. in terms of architecture. Yeah. And so, what is the mm. what is the work that needs to or how do we go about uh, making those spaces hospitable again, and not just mm-hmm. for, not just for humans, mm-hmm. but for all other life as well? Do you want to say something about that? Well, it's interesting that you were asking what is the word. That's super interesting <laughs> because the word points in different directions, like reclaim. Mm. This is very, or at least maybe in recent history, a very important word in landscape architecture because it it had a certain um, uh, what is the word? Is some ethical mm. dimension to reclaiming? Mm. You know, take back, or you mm. could say um, to. It's a funny. The problem is the word. You know. Yeah. So. I love what you just said, that some of the most eco-diverse places are ones where human beings have mucked around and they have (laughs) shifted things around, and that we're not the useless parasites on the planet, actually. (laughs) And, uh, you know, like the savannas and, you know, many Mm. regions of the world, the forest was kept at bay because of humans setting fire or grazing Mm. animals. So... Mm. I like this idea that we try to keep things from uh, that our job is to keep things from settling. Keep things from settling. Settling too mm, quick, mm-hmm. too easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so if we really were good at that, we would be like incredible, brilliant dinner conversation hosts and hostesses to the, to the, uh, the uh, green world like we mm. would always be setting things in another direction do you know mm. what I mean like um, it's shocking to realize this old idea this old you know premise of the climax state ecological climax state mm. is is just false sorry what, what do you mean well that ecosystems don't evolve to a climax state mm. that's the state before collapse Mm-hmm. You know this. You know what I'm talking about. So, but this was the old idea. You know, the forest grows, the undergrowth is mm-hmm. the small trees, then the big trees, and then mm-hmm. it reaches its climax. And mm-hmm. but actually, that's not the way it is. Okay. So, or you could say, you know, biodiversity preserve. We're we're doing a project now in North Sherping. Mm-hmm. Oh, we want to believe. We go there. We spread the seeds. Maybe we mm-hmm. tinker with the water in the soil and then it's going to do its thing no Mm. actually the uh, dominant species will just come back Mm. so once a year you have to go in there and rip out the you know Mm. the equivalent of the quick root Mm -hmm. so that the other things can have their place so wouldn't there be a practice of that Mm. do you know what I mean the practice of you know Mm. putting things in their uh, slightly 
offset place、mm-hmm. so that things could emerge. So, well, can you say something about? Because also, I think that to be able to to build something、um, in a place that allows for that place to be expressing itself most fully, or however we want to put it, the words words are、uh, always hard to find in this context. But we need to. It seems like we need to get to to know、mm-hmm. to know these places. Right. And you know, the I guess the the. The usual way of getting to know a place is just spending a lot of time there. The best. The best. But what are, as for you as an architect, what are some ways that you or methods or modes、okay. that you use to to get to okay, know a place in order to? Okay. Beautiful question.、Yeah. It's a me- it's a methodological question. Yeah. Because you're right. Usually you don't have that. Oh God, isn't it interesting? It's like those poor Hollywood composers who are told they have to write this, you know, music and. Next Friday, <laughs>、mm-hmm. <laughs> and they know they can't do a good job. You know、mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But God, they are composers. They love composing, so they're gonna they're gonna do what they can.、Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So、mm-hmm. most architects are in that situation. Yeah. There's not enough time,、uh, but there is an ethical bottom line. People shouldn't get worried. The architect has to visit the place in person.、Mm-hmm. There's nothing else legitimate. Anybody who's boasting that they can do a project like Frank Lloyd Wright did, you know. By mail or by email, that's just bullshit.、Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so that's the ethical bottom line. You got to、mm-hmm. go at least once.、Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But okay, and we know you should be going there many times. Everybody knows that.、Yeah. Okay, so the question is, how do you go there that one time, right? And it's interesting. No one ever asked me this question before.、Mm-hmm. Seems like a student should have asked this question. Yeah. Because it has to do with practice. So, the、uh, people who have Thought the most about this and most articulate are within landscape architecture,、mm-hmm. not architecture. The only writing I've read, maybe it's just because I haven't come across it, that answers your question, is、uh, in landscape architecture.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, like, there's a guy Philippe Giraud, who wrote an essay on how do you visit, and he says things that if you do not practice architecture or design, you think maybe are banal. Because he says things like, "The first time is precious. You will,、hmm. you will. This is the only time. The first time. It's only you can only see the place for the first time right, once. Right. Right. So realize、okay. that, and it's not just like a thing you put on a, you know, a、to、friendly、do. thing on your、uh, refrigerator thing.、Mm. You know. <laughs> no, it's so you better prepare,、mm. and you know, it's like we've talked about before. It's It's a spiritual thing, therefore you cannot say that.、Mm. You cannot say it in those terms. You better prepare yourself for the first time because it's it. And the way to prepare yourself is to get rid of your agenda.、Mm. Interesting. You have to not have a solution. Do you、mm. know what I mean? Or,、mm-hmm. or、yeah. even that mind. And you have to be attuned. You have to be like those things they call dowsing rods, where You're being dragged by the forked willow towards water. That was what、water. they used. Yeah, what they used to to find water. Yeah, so、mm-hmm. you have to become a dowsing rod.、Mm-hmm. And okay, you're asking good questions because this is the heart.、Mm-hmm. If you really want to scratch, why does someone do something? Why did they choose something? That's、mm-hmm. one question. Why do you keep doing it? That's、mm-hmm. another question. So why do people keep being architects? It's because of things like this. Because part of your 
task is to go someplace and become mm. that open, uh, you know, unwritten notebook. And so that's one thing you have to do. And then... Sorry, to become open... No, I, in other words, on yeah, tabula rasa, you know, mm-hmm, you like right. that's to part become, of the to job a, to become like a blank page. Yeah, you, mm. you, it's part of part of what you need okay. to enjoy doing. Yeah, and then okay, this is the whole story of how to make a work of architecture. Yeah. You go there, you gain things. You do not rush mm. to find a solution. You do not solve things. Mm. You. Spend as much time as you can. It's never enough. Take as many photos as you can. They're all useless. And then you, if you're a good architect, you talk to random people, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, This all the normal method. Um, It's not really adequate. So uh, I'm working now with the, on a project uh, in North Shopping, this garden. And my partner is a dancer, a mm-hmm. uh, project partner. And she, she, as an experimental dancer, when she goes to a place, she enacts, her name's Anna Asplund. Mm-hmm. She enacts, uh, or she, that's not the right word. She gathers knowledge. I, I, no. I want to say perform, performs mm-hmm. a dance there, mm-hmm. but you know. Okay, so anyway, so, and she structures them as a set of tasks for herself. And so it's super interesting as Mm -hmm. an architect to to be working with someone who's not an architect and take shared uh, task of making a design proposal. Mm -hmm. And so here's what she's, her tasks were. Mm -hmm. Um, Find the center. I thought, my God, that's what we're doing too as architects. When mm. you go to the place, you mm. immediately, instinctively try to find the center. I'm not talking mm. about the center according to the map, property lines, but what feels like the center of the perceived space. Walk the perimeter. That's exactly what the architect does too. Mm. Any good architect, you spend a lot of time, you don't even know why you're doing it, but you prowl, you prowl around. And then uh, there are other tasks, uh, not to take too detailed, but anyway, what turned out that her tasks were formalizations of the unwritten, many of them, unwritten answer to that question, how? That's super interesting. Mm. So, uh, but what makes it even more interesting in a way is that as a dancer, she enjoins herself to do that again and again, every time Mm. she visits the site. So she's pushing up against that limit of never being able to go there the first time again. And then maybe it's the same as the pianist playing the piece every time as if it was the first time time it was played. Do you know Mm. what I mean? It's the Mm. same. It's part of the performing arts, perhaps, wisdom. So anyway, so that's super interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I was just going to tell the whole arc, okay, because mm-hmm. then the architect goes back to their studio, and sometimes they send the uh, assistant to go measure, and the measuring is extremely important within this unacknowledged spiritual dimension of the metier. 
that uh, you want to know where everything is exactly on exactly mm-hmm. to the you know hopefully to the half a centimeter so by the way as an architect in this project in North Shopping that's what I'm doing I'm measuring everything where is this tree you know you can't really just look at a map and mm-hmm. where are the contours where's the animal paths you know what animal so trying to fix everything onto this drawing is part of it mm-hmm. and then there's parts you know you got to skip over in silence of how the design actually arises but the, that's maybe a too long a thing or mm-hmm. too subjective or whatever but then in the end what you are doing with your design proposal is going back profoundly you're going back you know how I was saying you have mm-hmm. to go at least once mm-hmm. your design proposal is your promise to go back like you say to someone that you met that you fell in love with i will see you again <laughs> i will visit you again that's the promise and that is what the design is it's the your attempt to f- to make good on that promise and you know what happens if you did it right it gets built and you go back and you start to cry <laughs> wow that's why people keep being architects because mm. it's a lousy job otherwise <laughs> And that's happened for you when you go when you've gone oh, back. I was shocked <laughs> when I was the first architect uh, project. I was every architect begins as an intern for somebody yeah. else. So you're kind of you're riding someone else's knowledge mm-hmm. in the beginning. So for me, it was an architect, Stephen Hall, and I was just out of school. I really, truly was not very wise. So I was working on this project, House in Martha's Vineyard, and when we visited for the first time and it was built I just started to cry I couldn't believe it was so beautiful <laughs> and that it was better than we thought it would be how can that be how does that work <laughs> and I know it's not just me <laughs> because it's impossible to reach that point of fulfilling this the fulfilling the um, singularity of a place mm. it's just too complex mm. anybody who has a garden you know it's infinite labor mm. your entire life is not going to be enough so or your cabin in the woods probably mm. you feel every time you go there you discover something new about it mm-hmm. i don't know if that's true oh, yeah. because um it's bottomless mm. So that's that's what you're up against. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's your task. It's like a Herculean task mm-hmm. to make fulfill something that is bottomless. And so you need help. Mm. You can never do it. <laughs> Where does that come from? Mm. Why is it better than you thought it would be? Mm. Even in particular things like 
God, that's brilliant. I'm going to say I meant that. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. How does that happen? I don't know. I think that's so interesting what you said about um, well, meeting a place for the first time, how you have to cleanse yourself of your ideas about this place mm. or your ideas for how to fix whatever right. this place and situation is is presenting to you and um, how, you know, what a great, well, we should do that more often just in general oh for sure if we were meeting a new person oh yeah or anything just to 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 be in this what you call the maybe the dowser mode (laughs) Mm -hmm. to be and and i and it also made me think of these um the 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 builders and the architects and the landscape architects sort of of the of ancient times but whether in the east or the west or wherever mm-hmm. that they how they um you know this question of where to lay the founding stone of the city yeah um or where to build the temple right uh this knowledge This particular knowledge that uh, that sort of that's that's been that's been forgotten, but that you know clearly if you're if you are doing architecture right, then maybe you're in this right the continuation of that tradition. I don't think it's forgotten. No, it's not forgotten. Okay, it's just not talked about. It's just not talked about. It's, but you know, it's interesting. This is maybe a tangent, but a super interesting one. Um, If something is rediscovered by someone, by themselves, not because they were part of a tradition or they had a certain teacher or they read the right books, they have invented it. In mm. fact, do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, uh, that's a pretty marvelous way to keep knowledge alive, to, to let it, to take that risk. Mm rather than package it and hand it down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, interesting. And I think that uh, the most wise aspects of architecture education, there's no question. They're the things that are not packaged and delivered and mm. talked about. Right. You know, we talked about this before also, but there are other things you should, you should definitely should not talk about. And that's not like kind of like not saying the name of God. I don't mean it like that. I mean like we're not even going to pretend that it exists. And then, my God, like when I started crying, I will never forget that. (laughs) Do you think a teacher needed to tell me that? Thank God nobody told me that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, they could have. I wouldn't have paid attention. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I think things are protected. The wise things are protected. And things can be rediscovered constantly, rediscovered. Mm. And that's the real living knowledge. And uh, I don't think we're that far away from that. Because, yes, isn't it incredible? The very thing that's the most important thing the architect does is still founding 
the place for the stone. It's still the same exact thing. Mm, that's the most important. It's no question. Okay. Do you want to say something about this project that you're doing for the, the Biennale in Venice? Yeah. Well, it's this garden in North Shipping. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I'm doing... First, I asked a group of people, a set of people, to work with me. A dancer, who I mentioned, an mm. urban planner, Martin Hedische, who's working in North Shipping, and a data scientist mm. in KTH, Matt Snordahl. And it's a project about method, in a way. Mm -hmm. In other words, like we were saying about what is it to make a design proposal? What is it? Mm. How do you begin? How do you continue? That's really what it's about. So how do you, who is it for? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, what can you offer? What is needed? You know, all these mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. So there's this scrap of land in Norshoping that's super interesting. I, I've been going there since 2017. Uh, it's a little bluff. It's a little rocky hill that's sticking up in the middle of this more or less flat part of North Shipping, surrounded by industry, and and it's been left to its own devices, so it's kind of a park. But people just go there maybe now and then, mm -hmm. five people a day, mm -hmm. max. And But it's in the middle of the city, so... Um, so it has a lot going for it vis-a-vis -vis what we were talking about before. It is clearly a singular place on earth. Mm. You know, it's not a generic lot in the mm. city. And it's got this incredible uh, traces of something happened here, mm. you know. Things mm -hmm. happened. Uh, people, there were summer houses. There was an exhibition here. The, things mm -hmm. happened here, and now it's kind of just forgotten. Um, so, what we wanted to do is find a method where we would know how to act in this place to bring it up to make it more hospitable, but not just for human beings. And this is something a lot of people are talking about in architecture now. So, but what does that really mean? That's, hopefully there'll be more and more critical talk about that because uh, what does it mean as an architect to, to care for non-human beings? You know, mm -hmm. like, uh, Anyway, so I could talk a lot. It'd probably get boring quickly because there's a normal way to think about that, which is to provide services. Mm -hmm. Or you'll create situations where things, you know, like this is good for so-and-so, and, -so, and mm. this body, these creatures will enjoy that, and we're mm. going to just do this and like a, basta. The, did you say a, a cat, cat hotel? That's like yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> so we didn't want to do that because no. what really is going on is first... Uh, these old, old problems, uh, <clears throat> you know, the problems contemporaneous with civilization and agriculture that uh, human beings are becoming more and more the uh, dominant uh, monopolistic presence. So we can deal with that if we make a garden that has 
more diversity that can provide habitat. Mm -hmm. But for who, you know, are we going to go through the manual and just say, oh, you know, <clears throat> well, you know, this should be a good place for so-and-so. Or do we want to find out who is living there? What is going on there? Mm. You know, it would be the way that you approach a human so-called clients, you know. So what we realize, the first problem is that they're not visible. The, the actual life of the world is not visible to most people. Mm. Interesting. They don't see, first off, it's back to what we said, you, don't, you have to go there many times. If you visit a place like the cabin in the mountains over mm -hmm. the whole year, then you see the whole thing. You get the whole story. Otherwise, it's like reading a novel with chapters ripped out. You're not mm -hmm. going to get it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's one thing. How do you deal with that fact that the attention of most people is limited and sporadic and distracted? So, but the problem is them. The problem isn't just to make a home for creatures who would benefit, you know, but it's to change the attention of people. Hmm. And how do you do that? So this is super interesting and a big question, and we definitely did not answer the question. But one thing we thought is it's about visibility. The things that are going on there have to be made visible. They have to be brought up. Now, traditionally, this is through aesthetics, like the design of a Japanese garden or a Pete Udolph uh, perennial garden. It's bringing up, it's increasing the saturation <laughs> of the, the, that which would have occurred to the point where it becomes visible to, to us in our mm -hmm. state of you know, torpor. And so that's, that's somewhat familiar. That's an aesthetic question. How can we make this into a beautiful place? But we also, we need to know what's going on, who's living there, what's unfolding there. Um, we as in the people who are responsible for the project. Yes, yes. exactly. So, um, so we kind of went to the dark side and the mm -hmm. parents of it. We, we set up two surveillance cameras for this place. And one camera is pretty close field of view. The other is a distant field of view. And every rabbit every bird that passes the field of view is registered and then Matt's converts it into a tracing and a through an algorithm you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's like it's the exact movement of that it could be a leaf it doesn't even have to be a being and so we can have we can have all of the birds in this place mm -hmm. in one year on one drawing you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. See the movements. We that. can see the whole thing. And mm -hmm. it's like testimony. Um, we, 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 because it's, it's like, it's truth, like almost like a signature. Like you see somebody's signature, this old idea that mm -hmm. you can tell something about their character. Well, the movement of the, the movement of that being is saying something. And then the other thing is we change our attention and we look at all the paths that are engraved in the ground through the bushes where all these animals are going, they're, they're, they're moving, they're roaming, they're doing their thing. And they are doing it with a desire. They have a desire. That's why they're going from here to there. And so when we see all these tracings, even if we can't understand what that desire is, we know, we can see from the signature of the line, 
that there is there is a desire and so a lot of interesting things about that yeah. that you discover when you start to look at the paths you know like the animal paths and so what we want to do is bring up invisibility again mm. these paths mm. because to walk the animal path is to begin to get some kind of embodied understanding of that mind and so where are the paths going like one mm. path leads to this rock outcropping and it, we found a lot of bird feathers there so somebody likes to eat their birds at that rock outcropping <laughs> well it's a really nice place to hang out mm. isn't that interesting like there's a lot of beer bottles there too <laughs> <laughs> so so we're trying to read the place now the advantage of our method is that we're spending a lot of time and we'll end up collectively going there countless times so it's going to be a different kind of project you know than the normal one we are already apologizing in advance. So will it be beautiful? Will it be good? Will it be built? We don't know, you know. But we definitely are trying to to stay true to it. Mm -hmm. So, and then there's a question, what do we do for the Biennale? Do you know what I mean? Like, Because mm -hmm. the garden, if it is done, it won't be done by October. Mm -hmm. So we're going to um, present the drawings of all the paths. Okay. The drawings of the dancer's path. I told you the dancers mm. performing a dance on the site. That's mm. if the dancer is able to enact a knowledge of the place, then that should be visible in the drawing. Like that drawing should be somehow testimony, I think. So we'll present those drawings and then I'm making block prints, multi-layer uh, linoleum block mm. prints, like the Japanese kind of technique of multiple colors. And, uh, you know, it's a totally ridiculous idea because it's not very efficient, it's not very precise. But the act of carving it mm. is like making the paths, like mm. the way the humans and non-humans have made the paths is the same as the act of carving that thing. And so, and also, there's many other reasons why I say I think a good method so we'll have and then we invented this uh, method of capturing the gestures of the dancer so what we've done we found a way to make the images capture the movement or gestures like a ghost mm. so the dancers figure becomes like a ghostly envelope that captures that dance. So if in that gesture, the act is being soil or being tree or being sky, then we can look at that ghost cloud and we can ask, we can just offer it up as criteria. Is that being cloud? Is mm. that being earth? So we're going to put together all these different kinds of testimony We'll see. Mm. I mean, obviously, I like talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's really interesting because I think that, um, uh, you know, we, we ha we, although we have this I idea that we need to go and to, to get to know a place, we, we need to go and meditate there on a rock or something mm -hmm. for, a, for a long time. And that's a great method, obviously. Um, 
but it's nice to think of these other methods that that provide something else that is not necessarily um, worse. (laughs) It's just different. And it's a different... it has a quality to it that's different, but it's still a dedicated attention. Exactly. Which is maybe the main point. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's no shortcut. That's kind of the bottom line. When we entered this project, I thought, God, press a button. We're going to get all of the paths of all of the birds Mm. through this place. Mm -hmm. God, so efficient. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite. It's taken so much longer (laughs) to get this thing that we might as well have just been pitching a tent there. Do you know what I mean? And like, that's true. It's like it it, it totally backfired. Mm, Interesting. So, if we're writing about it, we say, you know, best plus, yeah, press and play, you know. (laughs) But in truth, you can't escape this fact that you actually have to. Oh, that this. Mm. That it is—it's inevitable. You're going to have to spend a lot of time, and meditating on a rock ends up to be a pretty efficient. <laughs> that's, that's really wonderful, actually. That's good to know. <laughs> well, not caring at all is the most so-called efficient of all. You know, that's the problem. Exactly. I guess that's that's a popular method as well. well what do you think? what's the sort of, could you say something about some, you know, what's, I don't want to put it this bluntly, but what's the problem with architecture today? What's architecture's biggest problem? It's obsolete. It's useless. Okay. In what way? Oh. What's needed in the eyes of the building industry is not an architect. God, that's like, dentist applying to be the university president <laughs> they probably could do a good job but they're not what's wanted they're not they don't have the we're being trained according to a tradition that doesn't match the actual reality mm. and sweden is a very good example of this like historical moment when it dawned on everyone that they don't need architects. It's with, with what they call the Million Programmet. They had to build a million housing units. So they went to the architects. The architects did a great, beautiful project, but they were slow because they actually had to think about what they were doing. And they were going to make the work for that site, for that place. Too slow. They could not do it. They were brushed aside. And what's happened since then in Sweden is very telling. Architects are deprofessionalized, right? Anyone can call themselves an architect. And they are not the ones who take any legal responsibility. Hmm. That means they actually have no responsibility. Like if you don't take responsibility, you don't have responsibility. So uh, at least in Sweden, which I think is not an exception, I think it's just a more pure example of the the reality of this time there's no need for architects they don't want architects and then look around and see the result the result is uh, a kind of a kind of zombie urbanism you know what i mean like places built 
that are just hollow shells of places. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that's why everything looks so awful. I didn't realize that was... Yeah, because <laughs> there's no architects no, involved. No, no, the architects are involved, <laughs> but they're basically put in a little room oh. with one little light bulb hanging over their heads and given five minutes and told to do something. They're not needed within the process. They're, they're absolutely needed in terms of actually fulfilling the the need the true deepest need mm -hmm. they're they're but they're not needed in terms of the workflow so they do things like they design the facade or they design the shape of the building you know like because mm -hmm. that's what they can control and there by the way there are very good architects anybody who's mm -hmm. hearing this is going to get pissed off <laughs> because there are really good architects but they're all swimming upstream they're all going against this reality. And then there's these tiny little countries like Switzerland, Portugal, where the architects are still practicing this other way. So uh, Sweden has this weird honor of being a tiny country that's actually thinking like a big country, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of building production. So, so, but that seems to be a problem of with the of the rest of the world, not the an ar architecture itself. Or, I mean, it's a society. Seems like it's a societal problem. Right, um, right. It is more and an or more than a problem within architecture. And it's baked in, because, for instance, if you told a client that you wanted to do this for them, but it would cost more. The architect isn't saying that because of some kind of you know bling attraction that it does cost more it will be slower it will take he or she more time that's the truth to think anything else is just magical thinking but the client says no or the client splits the difference where does that come from do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. if there's no sense of what is needed how can you decide that well maybe we'll give you a little more mm -hmm. so it's baked in in that sense that the problem is not the big building companies and the real estate brokers and the, uh, you know, image market. It's, it's, it's a general lack of preciousness of people towards their own life and their own place on earth and their commercialized attitude that's so deeply baked in you know and so what would it take to change that you know mm -hmm. we started talking about the idea of singularity or not the idea of but yeah. the fact of that everything rests on it's irremediable unremediable um, completeness and idiosyncrasy mm -hmm. or whatever you know that's these are the words are very important so a lot of these thoughts were brought up reading this book Giorgio Agamben book The Coming Community okay. and I think he's part of a philosophical tradition that uses this word singularity but it was super helpful for me vis-a-vis -vis architecture mm. because actually, you know, you asked me what, what, is, what is it to make architecture? And I was saying, well, it's basically to recognize singularities and bring up 
the to make hospitable a world of singularity mm. you know mm. but um, but it's not what's understood as the role of architecture mm. because you know we spend some time talking about one of the pitfalls which is the generic the generic, generic has nothing to do with singularity mm. you know like to talk about a typology prototype or a solution or a product you know what I mean buildings architects speak of their buildings as products that's one path the other path is idiosyncrasy like we're gonna make the coolest thing and it's gonna be ours and it's gonna look like ours and so boring so bogus but you look through the architecture websites this and that is what many architects think their job is to make not singularities but idiosyncrasies to call attention to their individuality so this is interesting because this is maybe the most interesting thing to try to get at what attitude of mind what kind of what kind of spirit would allow or encourage one to work in this way of making bringing up the singular so here's another way to talk about it <laughs> um, before when we were talking about architecture I was saying that every work of architecture is an example it's a way it represents itself as a way of doing something it's kind of like um, it is what it is and it is about what it is you know mm. by the way this is not a new idea mm -hmm. but but I would want to add to that is it's effortlessly about what it is mm. not dogmatically or didactically about what it is that's the thing I'm trying to get at you know like this mm. idea of uh, grace mm. because the moments that architecture still exists as a profession, as a practice, human endeavor, is when people are struck by it. Yeah. Someone visits something, they're in the presence of something, and they are moved. Then there is still architecture. That's given. So what I was trying to say is that they're moved by not only that it is what it is so beautifully, but that it is offering something it is about not about it is making possible something mm. for that person so that's the thing it's not didactic you know and, and that's what architecture is when it's it really is architecture. Well, I mean, there's so many ways of talking about things. I mm. think maybe it's not true, but maybe only partially true. But when I think about architecture or works that are the highest example of emotional uh, intensity for me, it's, for instance, uh, Japanese architecture, Chinese gardens, South Chinese gardens. Uh, Japanese gardens uh, when you're 
in the presence of those things, or I'm just speaking for myself, mm. you're... It's a... The reaction has to be something like, I didn't know. It could be so beautiful. Or, I didn't, I had no idea. It could be so perfect. Or, it, it, you, you, you realize that you have crossed some kind of boundary that you didn't know mm. existed. Mm. Hmm. And I do think, you know, I was saying before, the architects, maybe, in some cases, they're not as articulate as the landscape architects. And I do think that architecture is a subcategory of landscape architecture. And what we are doing is conceptualized very well as a garden, whatever it is. Like the garden, this idea of this encounter with wonder, you know, like, oh my God, this is incredible. This mm. is beautiful. It's, I, I associate it first with gardens, mm. you know, and I, I wonder if it's just not, maybe it's not just me, mm. you know, like, uh, and then we get this whiff of something, you know what I mean? Like this old idea, <laughs> you know, for us, the Garden of Eden idea, you know, like, this whiff and uh, that the world is perfect. much nicer to think about that no <laughs> mm. thank you thank you thank you for taking time i really uh, appreciate it wonderful amazing that you're doing this thank you is it oak an oak tree. it's an oak yeah. yeah it's a great one kept us in shade yeah You can find links, suggested readings, and lectures from Peter in the show notes or on our website, which is forestofthought.com. A special thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping to make this podcast possible. Our wonderful theme music is by Christian Holtstein at stoneproduction.no. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, take care.